So I'm in the middle of a teaching series on Paul's letter to Ephesians, and we're going to continue today, and we're going to chunk through three verses from Ephesians chapter 2. In 1986, I moved to the campus of Wheaton College, uh, and I moved into a dorm room. And when I showed up there, I knew what it was to feel God's presence. Because one of the reasons that I gave my life to Jesus Christ is that in the little Baptist church in Gas City, Indiana, I could tell that the presence of God was in that room. And it was all around me, and I wanted it in me. And so I walked the aisle and prayed the prayer and signed the card, <laughs> which is what you did back then. I also knew in 1986 what it was to feel conviction. I knew what it was to have God's spirit work in me and say, no, <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> this is bad. But what I didn't know when I showed up on campus was anything about spiritual warfare, angels and demons, principalities and powers. I had no teaching on that. I had no wheelhouse. I had no conception whatsoever. I had heard people growing up say, the devil made me do it. But they always said that in jest. They never meant it. They never meant it seriously. Interestingly so, the year I showed up at college is the year this book, is the year this book came out, This Present Darkness. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a Christian novel about this college town called Ashton, where there's demons actively working to take over the town. I read the book. My roommate, Andrew who became my best friend, he read the book, and then we got the silly idea that we would start walking through the town of Wheaton, Illinois, and praying for the city, but we would do that at night. <laughs> so after the sun set, when it was dark, we would be walking the streets of Wheaton, Illinois, praying for the city to come to God, and, and praying about principalities and powers, right? And there is a, the headquarters of the Theosophical Society of America is actually located in Wheaton, Illinois, <laughs> which bears an uncanny resemblance in the book to the, uh, what's it called? Universal Consciousness Society, which was the headquarters of all the demons. So we're, we're walking past this, you know, these grounds of this place one night and Andrew goes, did you see that shadowy creature? And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, no, I saw something. And so we, we booked it back to campus and kind of hid in our rooms for the rest of the night. <laughs> we were spooked. So I got to ask a question. Are demons real? Are angels real? So if you come from a, a Christian background, like Baptist or Presbyterian or some kind of Catholics, you've probably never had any teaching on stuff like, principalities and powers. It's not in your wheelhouse. It's not in your language or your vocabulary. If, on the other hand, you grew up Pentecostal, you've had extensive teaching on it. And your pastor back home, Pastor Billy, he knows the name of the demon in charge of your city. <laughs> He's got that guy on speed dial. Getteth behind me, right? <laughs> Getteth behind me. So chances are that background, or if you have no background at all, kind of flavors how you approach this. Believe it or not, the Apostle Paul writes about this concept of principalities and powers frequently in his letters. It's actually a big theme and a big concept. In fact, for Paul, one of the big things that Jesus has done through the cross is defeat the principalities and powers 
and free those who are in Christ Jesus from their control. So I kind of want to walk you through what Paul has to say, and I want to invite you to allow Paul to speak to us today through his letter to the Ephesians. This is a summary from George Eldon Ladd's Theology of the New Testament, and these are all of the references that Paul makes to principalities and powers in his letters. He calls them a ruler, principalities, an authority, and then the plural, authorities. He refers to power and then powers, plural, thrones, lordship, world rulers of this darkness, the spiritual hosts of evil in the heavenlies, the authority of darkness, and my personal favorite, every name that is named. If you read Harry Potter, it bears an eerie resemblance, right, to he who shall not be named. Heavenly, earthly, and subterranean beings. So Paul refers to these principalities and powers regularly in his letters. So I want to suggest to you today that just as there are human beings, that's you and me, in case you didn't know, just as there are human beings, there are spiritual beings, And some of the spiritual beings that God made have, in fact, like all of humanity, rebelled against him. And they work in this world to corrupt and divide. They work in this world to corrupt and divide. So if you've only thought of the devil as this guy from a sitcom, or you've only thought of demons as this Balrog from Lord of the Rings, I want to invite you to, again, allow Paul to speak today. Allow Paul to speak today. So Ephesians, last week, we kind of unpacked how God's gift of salvation comes with strings attached. But nevertheless, it's a gift. It's a gift that you and I don't deserve. It's a gift that you and I haven't earned. And Paul has some things to say leading up to that huge claim, that huge statement. And so that's what we're going to wade into to you today from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through through 3. So this is what Paul says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So I want to unpack a few things from here. Once you were dead. So one of the big things that the Bible, that God has to say to us, is that apart from Christ, we're what? Dead. Dead. Dead people can't do anything to help themselves. (laughs) Dead people have no ability for function, reason, or sense. That's our condition apart from Christ Jesus. We're dead. And then Paul says this, you used to live in sin. You used to live in sin. Now, the Greek word here used is the word walk. You used to walk in sin. And that's actually tied to a Hebrew way of talking about living life. So the Hebrews talked about the way a person walks. And the way a person walks is how they live. It's their lifestyle. It's their everyday in and out way of living. And so that's why God says in Leviticus 18, you shall not walk 
like the Canaanites. Don't be sacrificing your babies to some God. Like, don't, don't, don't be doing that. Don't walk like the Canaanites. And then God says in Psalm 1, happy is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked. So then Paul uses a prepositional phrase that our English translation here really doesn't have. And the prepositional phrase means that people apart from Christ are under the control of or under the power of three things. The age of this world, the ruler of the authority of the air, and flesh. And so I want to kind of highlight those. The rest of the world, that's the age of this world. Remember from a few weeks ago, this age and the age to come, right? So this, these are things like ideologies, systems, and structures of human society, ways of living apart from God and his values. So what does that look like? I don't know about you, but I'm an American. I buy my clothes. My clothes are not made in America. They're made in China. They're made in sweatshops, if I'm honest, okay? The shirt that I'm wearing right now, Made in a sweatshop. I bought it. Now, other people designed this shirt. They advertised this shirt. The shirt was made in China. But you could almost say I had no choice but to buy this shirt in America. Right? So I want to connect the dots for you. So when Paul says that people who are dead, people who are not in Christ, they have no, they have no control. They have no option then to sin. Does this make sense? So we can kind of see that in the way that, like, we have things in our society where it's like you can't do anything other than do that one thing, okay? That's the age of this world, or just like the rest of the world. And then he talks about the devil, the ruler of the authority of the air, okay? I don't like to, when I am referring to the Satan, I like to use the definite article, the Satan, because it really, it just translated, it means the accuser. Uh, the other way that it's translated is the slanderer. Um, so I don't like to give him a capital S <laughs> in his name. Uh, but the ruler of the air is like a powerful metaphor. Just a few weeks, uh, just a few days ago, last week, we had a big wind come through, didn't we? That was a big wind. You couldn't see it with your eyes, but it knocked some stuff down, didn't it? It was powerful, even though you couldn't see it with your eyes. Paul's wanting us to see that even though we can't see the devil with our eyes, he's powerful, right? And then the next verse here, this other thing that we're under the control of, and that's how we translate it in English, sinful nature, but the word used there is flesh, and older translations will often talk about the flesh. And Paul probably has in mind the Hebrew uh, yeser hara, which has to do with an evil inclination, an inner propensity to just do what you want to do apart from God's ways. <laughs> and that's how we kind of are our default operating system out of the gate. And then he wraps it up. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger or God's wrath. Now, I know we live in 2023 and nobody likes to talk about God's wrath anymore. It's like a passe thing. But I have kids and I'm going to tell you that love and wrath are two sides of the same coin because I love my kids. I love my kids. And I have been angrier than a hornet at my kids for doing things that are destructive to them and their lives and their futures. And I get all, you know, prophetic with them. Dad's mad. No, it's the wrath of dad, which is also dad's love, right? The, 
If you take wrath out of the equation, what you get is indifference. And my read of God, because of what I see in the person of Jesus Christ, is not that God from heaven is watching humanity break itself apart, kill each other, destroy one another, destroy their lives in a path that leads to death and just go, meh, not my problem. <laughs> no, okay? One of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote frequently about in his letters was to Describe God's wrath in a way that was not like the Greco-Roman gods of Zeus and Apollo who were capricious. Uh, they were capricious. Uh, they were unpredictable. They were spiteful. And that's not how God is. God is long-suffering and patient and loving. So in Ephesians, these rulers and authorities and the prince of the ruler of the air and all of this stuff, this is at work in the lives of individuals and this is at work in the lives of our political systems, religious systems, societal systems. And so I kind of want to walk you through several verses that Paul unpacks this in his many letters. Okay? Colossians 1. All things were created in him, things in the heavens and things on earth, the visible and invisible. In other words, God made human beings and God made spiritual beings. Colossians 2. They take you away captive through philosophies and deception in accordance with human traditions and the elemental powers of the cosmos, something God made. Colossians 2.15, after disarming the rulers and authorities, Jesus exposed them to public shame. So Paul is saying there basically in the cross, Jesus actually reversed the power dynamic and shamed the very powers that were trying to oppress people and keep them away from God and away from life. In Galatians 1, Jesus Messiah, who gave himself on behalf of our sins in order to rescue us from this present evil age. Galatians 4, we were enslaved under the elemental powers of the cosmos. Galatians 4, 8, you were enslaved by what, to what by nature were not gods, the weak and impoverished elemental powers. Notice that word enslaved. So Paul's saying that apart from Christ, you can't help but do things that are apart from God and God's ways. You just can't help it. <laughs> it's what you do. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, this age, the rulers of this age who are passing away, the rulers of this age, who if they did know the wisdom of God, they wouldn't have crucified <laughs> the Lord of glory. And then 1 Corinthians 15, when the Messiah hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, when he nullifies every rule and authority and power, for it's necessary that he rule until he's placed all enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be nullified is death. And then in this verse, we love to quote Romans 8, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor what? Rulers, nor the present, nor the future, nor what? Powers, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So Paul's making some pretty bold claims in this letter. Paul's saying some pretty huge things. So more than just angels and demons, this includes individuals, societal systems, structures, and Paul is saying that anyone dead in sin is enslaved to those powers, under the control of those powers. And that enslavement affects their decisions, their behavior, and how they live their life. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he puts it this way. If you consider all the uses of power vocabulary in the New Testament, you discover that the powers are both heavenly and earthly divine and human, spiritual and political, invisible 
and structural. So in light of what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, I ask a couple of questions. And one is simply, what reasons have you heard people give for the direction they're taking in life? What reasons have you heard people give for the direction that they're taking in life? And then, which is more natural, following your desires and inclinations or following God and God's ways? Which is more natural? So let me kind of unpack this in a way that makes sense, I hope. And the first is simply this. Dead people can't help themselves. <laughs> Dead people can't help themselves. If Dr. Scott or Dr. Rutherford were here today, and if I were to ask them, later on today, I'm going to be in a car accident, I'm going to be airlifted to UK Trauma Center, I'm going to be brain dead and have no heartbeat. Is there anything that I can do to help myself? Is there anything I can do to resuscitate myself? Is there? No. 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 Dead people can't do anything. One story that Americans like to tell themselves is that people are basically good. If you give someone two emotionally healthy, loving parents, if you read to them, if you provide for them well, if you give them educational and other opportunities, those kids will automatically become kind, loving humans. But that story isn't true. Because again, when you, the word you is used in the New Testament, it's always all y'all. And anytime all y'all have tried to create a human society of utopia where nobody's oppressed and where everybody has a seat at the table, it almost always ends up in what? Tyranny and oppression. Because humans do what humans do. Okay? Um, dead means I can't, I won't. And I don't even want to. <laughs> a good place to start this week might be to acknowledge that reality with, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. I can't, I won't, and I don't want to. So that's the first thing. The second thing is following your desires and inclinations is unwise. Following your desires and inclinations without reflection, without scripture, without community in the family of faith is unwise. Wise. In America, it's very popular to argue that any desires and aspirations that I have that are deep within me are things that God gave me and I should follow. Years ago, when I was an associate pastor at our mother congregation, I was only 29 years old, and we went on a men's retreat. And we're on this men's retreat at Lake Cumberland, and the speaker is talking about sexual holiness and sexual purity. And so after one of the sessions, you get paired up with another buddy. So I'm sitting here across from a 49-year-old man. I'm 29. He's 49. And out of his mouth, he says to me, Max, God has given me a supercharged sex drive. Like, I have to have sexual intercourse every day. In fact, sometimes it's more than once a day. And my wife can't and won't accommodate this. And so I've got this woman at UK, and I've got this woman at work, and between the three of them, I'm getting my needs met. And, and, and God, God made me this way. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he want me to fulfill, right? That's that line of thinking. Do you see how it doesn't work? Like it doesn't work, <laughs> okay? I've run into people in life who were naturally inclined to be aggressive people. I know this because I've driven to places with them on US 27 on a Friday, on a Friday afternoon. And I've, and I've seen them 
cut people off and say things. And I'm like, you need to repent of that. <laughs> like, like, okay. I don't think we would say to those people, you know, God made you aggressive. It's who you are. Just lean into that. <laughs> I've known people who were excellent liars. Like they just could not tell the difference between truth and a lie. And it's like they had the gift of deception, right? And again, again, following your desires and inclinations apart from God is unwise, okay? The Bible tells us that our natural desires and inclinations take us away from God. The third thing I want to draw out of this is please don't look for angels and demons everywhere, please. When you're in the Chick-fil-A line, and you go through the Chick-fil-A line and a miracle happens. Namely, you drive away and they didn't put ketchup or mayonnaise in the, in the bag. Don't in that moment do the whole, Lord, I rebuke Satan right now, taking my mayonnaise, you know, stealing my joy today. <laughs> like, don't look for, you know, angels and demons under every little bush. However, however... I want you to recognize that not every thought that you have is yours. And it would be a good idea for those thoughts, words, and phrases that kind of recur over and over again in your head to write those down on a piece of paper. Type them on a screen. And the reason I want you to do that is two reasons. One, when you're looking at that piece of paper or you're looking at that screen, it gives you an opportunity often where you'll say, well, that's dumb. That's stupid. That's not me. That's not how life works. That's not God. Like, it gives you that opportunity. And the other opportunity that it gives you is when it's written down on a piece of paper or typed on a screen, you can compare it to what God says. Here's what's going whirl, whirl, whirl in my mind, and here's what God says. Which one is more likely to be true? <laughs> right? And lastly, prayer is necessary. <laughs> prayer is necessary. I got news for you. Our enemy is not other people. Shh, don't tell the rest of America that. <laughs> Our enemy is not other people. We do not fight other people. We do not fight conservatives, liberals. We do not fight any group of people with a label. People are not the enemy. Principalities and powers are the enemy. We're going to get into this in a few weeks, but in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against spirits in the heavenly places. Our fight is against principalities and powers. There's a moment recorded in Mark chapter 9. Jesus has gone up a mountain with Peter and John, and the rest of the disciples are at the bottom of the hill. And he had already commissioned them two by two to go out and heal the sick and cast out demons. And so a man brings these other disciples, his son, who's possessed by a demon. And the disciples kind of full of themselves, I think, because they'd already been sent out and they'd already done all this, you know, glory stuff. They're like, yeah. Bring him here. Hey, Bartholomew, if you, when you want a Thomas, you want to go with this? No problem, boys. Here we go. Crack the knuckles. Boom. The power of Christ compels you. Or whatever it was they would have said, right? And, and nothing works. 
and the boy still possessed. And Jesus comes down from the mountain, and the father says to, the, says to Jesus, your disciples could not cast out this evil spirit. What does Jesus say? This kind can only be done by prayer. By prayer. Which is why churches should pray and families should pray. Because again, our battle is not against people, but against principalities and powers. So today, I just wanted to put a little thing in your brain that just as there are human beings, there are spiritual beings. And some of these spiritual beings have decided to rebel against God. And they work in the world to divide and corrupt. But when human beings are freed from slavery to those powers and they're made new in Christ Jesus, there's no longer male or female. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer Jew or Greek. These human beings become a people whose identities and destinies are no longer governed by the powers.